verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled, somebody say filled, with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you don't have always. Now a great many of Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to tag this message today for your family. Three mandates for your worship. Three mandates for your worship. Amen. When we come to this text, we get to come to an understanding of what it means to worship God. This passage today, family, gives us a great picture to look at, for there is no greater text in all of the New Testament, I believe, that expresses the passion of worship. This family in the text, located in the city of Bethany, becomes an example for us of what it looks like to have true worship in the house of God. Every now and then we meet somebody in the scripture, brothers and sisters, who have had an encounter with God. And it's in this encounter that you and I can experience and learn from how their lives were changed and impacted and how Jesus gave them a reason to worship. Can I back into it for you today? It was six days before the Passover, and Jesus had come to Bethany where Lazarus had once been dead. I said he came back to the city where he had did a phenomenal miracle. And he comes back to the house where Lazarus lived with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And I believe that what happens right here is they throw a gratitude dinner for Jesus. In other words, because he had been so good to them, 
they decided we're going to throw a meal in your honor. And we just want to tell you, thank you for what you've done for me. Can I stop right there? When was the last time you threw something for Jesus at your house? Just to tell him, thank you. Thank you for sparing your children. Thank you for sparing your mama. Thank you for sparing your brothers or your sisters and invited others to come on behalf of the master. I'm already preaching. It feels good too. Look, they threw this dinner in honor of Jesus and they're all in the house. I said it's six days from Calvary. He's going to be killed for the sins of the world. And he goes back to the place that wants to honor him. I like this right here. I like this because it shares to me and it shows me that Jesus had some friends who loved him for more than the miracle. They, they loved him for more than what he could do for them. And they were in love with him and committed to worshiping him in Bethany. What we can find in this text today is that in Bethany there is worship, work, and a witness. Can I say some more? Martha in the text is the big sister and she's the one that organizes the meal. So Martha for us in the text represents worship as work unto the Lord. In other words, she didn't have the alabaster box but she brought what she had. And she brought her cooking abilities. Yes, Sister E.A., that's good right there, huh? She cooked Jesus his favorite meal. She understood how to get to a man's heart is through his... Come on, talk to me. And as an act of worship unto God, she served through cooking. Isn't that something right there? Tell somebody everybody can do something. The second person we see in the text is we see, uh, we see her brother Lazarus. Lazarus doesn't do anything in the house. But the fact that he's back from the dead and people want to come see him is a witness unto who Jesus is. Y'all going to come back to that with me? And then the third person we see in the text that's a worshiper is the little sister Martha or, or, or Mary. And Mary does something unique inside of the passage and we're going to look at her act of worship unto God. I got three points I'm going to give you then I'm going to get on out your way. Are you ready? Number one, they're on the screen behind you. I want to talk about priceless worship priceless worship. The number two I'm going to talk about poisonous words. Poisonous words. And all of these affect the worship mandate. Number three, we're going to talk about protective worth that comes in the worship mandate. If you look with me in verse three, you'll find these very familiar words. The Bible says, then Mary she took a pound of very costly oil, oil of spikenard, and she anointed the feet of Jesus, and she wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Can I say something right here? This is an alarming piece of information for the reader this morning. 
See, in the Middle Eastern culture, Brother Seth, it was hospitality-like if someone showed to you, showed you when you came to their house some water and a towel for your feet. See, they, everywhere they went, they had to travel on dusty roads. And so a good host, those who were the hostess with the mostest, can I say some more? They would offer you some resources for your journey. But when you see this text, Mary takes her hostess-like ministry and her adoration for Jesus to a whole nother level. She don't just offer him water and a towel for his feet. She offers him something much more. Are you with me here? She offers him the most expensive thing she could give away, which was her perfume that could only be bought and purchased for her wedding day. Are you with me here? The alabaster box was saved and used for one moment because you could only open it one time. And after you opened it, no more could the fragrance be used. Can I go some further? Not only that, so she goes further with the gift of the oil that she's going to put on his feet. She offers more than water. But a towel ain't good enough for the feet of the one who created her. Are you listening here? What she does in the text is supernaturally important. She takes down her hair. And in taking down her hair, hair in the Bible is the glory of the woman. Turn me down. The glory of the woman. So what she does, she says, Jesus, you made me in your image. I want to take the very thing you gave me, my glory, and place it on your feet. No towel's going to wash the feet of my Savior. Are y'all listening here? She unwraps her hair and bows in a slave-like position. Mary is one of the owners of the house, but when Jesus comes in, she takes the position of the slave. Can I say some more? The proper position for worship is always in the position to prostrate oneself. She takes the place of a slave, undoes her hair, humbles herself, and lets her glory wash the master's feet. A.D. Wilson commenting on the text says, because Mary had something to give God, she gave it all away. Okay, all right. What she gave was from an Indian plant that only grew in India. It was called the spike plant. And the oil only came from the root of the plant. Which meant that this perfume wasn't something you could get in Bethany. It had to be imported. And not only was it imported, it had to be packaged in a unique way. I let it out early and so said you can only open the alabaster box one time. And it was purchased for the woman's wedding night. Y'all ready for this? It was literally what she would pour on the head or the feet of her groom. Mary becomes a picture of the church when Jesus comes home. 
Are y'all listening here? He, she breaks open the special oil and the gift that she had been saving for the master. Some say that it would literally take you a, a whole year's worth of labor saved up to purchase this one gift to give to Jesus. She becomes the picture of the bride of Christ serving her husband and anointing the feet of the one who she's been waiting for all her life. Good God Almighty. She said, ain't no man more precious and important to me than the Savior of my life. Good God Almighty. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost, just a little while. What she does in this text, you guys, is she gives up her resources. She gives up her time. She gives up her treasure. She gives up her temple. She used her mind and her thoughts. In other words, Courtney, this was thoughtful worship. Can I say why? She didn't just haphazardly decide to, at the last moment, just give Jesus this oil. No, she thought about this worship. Because the dinner was planned. They were expecting him to come, and in her expectation of the master, she already knew, even though he comes with the 12, the 12 not getting this oil. Are you with me here? This is set apart just for Jesus and him only. That's thoughtful worship. That's the kind of worship that said, I'm thinking about what I'm going to give him today. I'm thinking about how I'm going to let my glory down and use it only for him. I put some thought into how this act of worship is going to look, how it's going to be, and how he might receive it. Good God Almighty. Y'all ain't convinced? I got three more things to give you. Then This worship was public. Y'all with me there? It was personal and it was priceless. Can I say some more? It was public in that she did what she did in spite of what others were going to say. The 12 disciples were there. Her brother and sister were there. Other people from Bethany was there. But her worship was on display. It was being monitored, Sister Armstrong. It was being investigated, daughter. But she worshiped anyway. Can I say some more? She didn't care if you had an issue with her worshiping Christ in this manner. Didn't bother her one bit. Her worship for God was public. Not only was it public, it was personal. Tell somebody it was personal. It was personal in that it was between her and the Lord. It was for an audience of one. It was designed to please one person. It was only for Jesus' enjoyment. It was costly because she had to turn her back on the world and her heart was only on thinking about how to say thank you. I like that. What's your worship like today? Is your worship contingent upon whoever else is shouting? How personal is your worship? What has God done for you? Come on, talk to me. I heard Sister Grace say, I'm thankful in spite of them upping my chemo dose. That's personal worship. You can't shout right there. You ought to shout right there, but that's personal. She said, regardless if you shout, I'm grateful. Can I say some more? 
not only was it public, it was personal, it was priceless. What do you mean, Reverend? Well, it was, it was perfume that was, again, as I mentioned, uh, accustomed to having to cost a year's wages. It was priceless in that it was sealed for the special day of delivery. And then her anointing of Jesus' feet represents for us a major sacrifice and indicates literally the depth of her love. In other words, brothers and sisters, this going to hurt you right here, so watch your feet, watch your feet. She went broke to worship God. <laughs> I'm going to put my weight on it right there. We go, to, we go broke to worship the car we want. We go broke to live in the neighborhood we want to live in. We go broke to wear the weed we want to wear. Come on, talk to me. We go broke to wear the jewelry we want to wear. But she had in her priorities worshiping Christ. And she went broke to worship the master. I knew I was going to miss a whole lot of y'all right there. I wish we was all broke up in here just to worship God. Can you imagine what this house would be like if everybody came in here broke to worship God, gave everything you had, laid it all on the line, then your worship would be for real. Worship would no longer be a spectator sport. If you live your life like every day was his and it was only unto God, you'd be a broke soul of Christian focused on the kingdom of God. We couldn't have praise and worship long enough. No, we still stuck on conditional praise and worship. It depends on how hot it is in here, Reverend. It depends on how I'm feeling right now. It depends on my circumstances. But I stop by to tell you that every believer ought to have a worship encounter like this. Every believer's encounter in worship ought to be priceless. You ought to love God enough to give him the best you can give. I noticed yesterday in the prison, lifers, amen, come on, listen to me. Lifers, y'all, ain't never coming home. Ain't gonna never see their babies again. Ain't gonna never be married. Ain't gonna never walk the streets in the public no more. Ain't gonna ever have what you and I take for granted. But when it came to worshiping God in that dingy, dirty gymnasium, they couldn't tell him thank you enough. They put the free church to shame. Amen. They put the free Christians to shame. Why? Because they had a reason to praise his name. Though they were in darkness, they've now been set free. And though they caged up, the caged birds still sing. Though the prison doors had them confined, they were still set free on the inside. Come on, talk to me. And you know what got me, Pastor Tate? As I'm preaching, they stand the whole message. They ain't got no room to sit down. And I'm running out of gas. They still talking about pre-trevin'. Are you with me here? They had a reason to worship him. That's why I'm so jacked up this morning. I might just preach two hours today. Hey, two hours today. 
We ought to be giving God our best songs. We ought to be giving him our best gifts. We ought to dance our best dances. We ought to give God our best music. The service that we give him ought to be rendered for selection. The best we have to offer ought to be offered to God. Tell your neighbor, I ain't giving him no more leftovers. I ain't giving him no more. Your worship ought to be public for the world to see. It ought to be personal so your soul can feel it. Your worship ought to be priceless so when you walk away, you know you've left everything behind. See, God deserves your best. He gave you the best. Y'all didn't hear me right there. Bring him your alabaster box. That's your life right there. Bring, bring, bring in the sweet-smelling sacrifice of a holy life not tainted with sin. Bring the Lord the oil of righteousness and holy living, free from guilt and corrupt fruit. Give the Lord your best. Give God the best that you got. I can't help it, y'all. I'm feeling this thing up here. Can, can I just do it all? I'm going to act like I'm in prison on yesterday. Amen. <laughs> Not only do we see priceless worship, but look what happens when priceless worship takes place. You always run into poisonous words. Point number two. The text says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who was going to betray him in six days, said this. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? He put a price on it, didn't he? And given to the poor. You know, when I wrote myself a note here, Blackburn, I think you'll appreciate this. Wherever there's worship, there's always contempt. We saw this in heaven with Lucifer. God was being praised and Lucifer got in his heart. I will be like the most high God. And he convinced the third of heaven's angels to try to take over God's worship. Can I say some more? We see this also in Israel with the people's rebellion against God. We also see it here today in the church with the saints. Wherever there's true worship, there's always contempt for the worship. Somebody always got something to say about the worship you came to give God. Oh, yeah, I like this. Warren Wisby commenting on this text said this. He said, Judas started the criticism, but the disciples didn't even know that they were being influenced by Judas' words. So they began to chime in with what he was talking about. Why wasn't this money sold or this perfume sold and given to the poor? They thought Judas really cared for the poor. Judas didn't care for the poor. He was pocketing the money that was going in the box. Are y'all with me here? And so they got influenced to have a contemptuous now worship experience. Can I bring it home? Some of y'all the same way. People up here shouting and singing, and you just sitting there just as cool. Like, it don't take all of that. It's hot in here. Didn't they pay the PG&E? How long they going to sing that song? Those attitudes without even knowing are attitudes of contempt. 
Y'all missed it right there. I'm already in here. The attitude of contempt says, I don't care what they say, I ain't raising my hand. The attitude of contempt say, I ain't standing. I know pastors say, stand and shake somebody's hand. The attitude of contempt say, shit, better not come over here and hug me. The attitude of contempt say, shoot, I'm leaving here right before the offering today. The attitude of contempt says, I don't care what y'all here to do. I didn't come here for that. The attitude of contempt is real. And Satan always influences the attitude. Can I say some more right there? You can be mad over something six months ago and still have an attitude of contempt when it comes to the worship experience. Can I say some more? See, Judas was out of control and he had no intention on worshiping Jesus. Herschel Hobbs commenting on this text says, Pastor, Mary's devotion was an offense to Judas. It tested his own coolness and deceit. And also, he said, and that's why he said what he said. Why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii? A.D. Wilson commenting on the text said this, family, Mary's worship was what I call prejudged. In other words, it was judged by Judas before he understood her story. It was denounced, deduced, and demolished. What do you mean? Well, it was condemned openly as being evil. Mary's worship was scrutinized before it was even celebrated. Her worship was the target of what I call as the anti-worship mentality. Y'all know them, they ain't going to stand for the reading of God's word. They ain't going to pray and hold nobody's hand. They ain't going to clap when the choir claps. They ain't going to even tap their feet. They intentionally are anti-worship. In fact, right now they on Facebook. Right now they paying next week's bills. Right now they playing tic-tac-toe, amen. Why? They got an anti-worship attitude. Mary's worship was under fire because her accuser didn't come to worship. Don't be fooled by people up in here. Everybody in here ain't came to worship. I know it's tight, but it's right. It was deduced in that, yeah, he had already reached a conclusion about herself before he even knew why she was worshiping. In other words, he had misguided reasoning. Mary's worship was belittled by Judas. Why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii? It was reasoned against because Judas didn't worship. He didn't worship. Not only that, but it was demolished. What do you mean, Pastor? It was torn down in her face. Judas accused her of wasting her money on God. Did y'all catch that? He accused her of wasting her money on God. Why wasn't this used or sold in order to do this? Judas accused her of wasting the fragrance for the Lord instead of giving it to him. He had no idea that giving to God is always greater than giving to some other cause. 
Can I help somebody who's struggling with giving your tie to the church? You know you should give it somewhere, so you'd rather give it to the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts or the Red Cross or to some radio ministry across town or some other place where you're not being fed. Give your gifts to God. The place where God is feeding you, equipping you, nurturing you, training you. Give your gifts to God. I can guarantee you, if you don't give it to God, PG&E going to get it. The mechanic going to get it. Some bill that you didn't forgot about going to get it. Child support going to get it. And they going to get it because God said you robbing me. Give your gift to God and watch and see how God blesses you for your act of worship. Tell your neighbor, that's good right there. That's good. Look, nobody knew like Mary knew what Jesus had did for her. Nobody knew like Mary knew what it was like to have her brother Lazarus raised back from the dead. Nobody could tell it like she could tell it what Jesus had done for her. Trina, nobody knew, daughter, like she knew what her story was. She had a right to praise him. She had a right to give God her all. She had a right to bring him her best. She had a right to praise him like she did. She had a right to worship him the way she wanted to. Can I turn the light on right here? Sometimes people gonna talk about you because of the way you worship. Sometimes people going to look crazy at you because you've chosen to worship. Sometimes, yeah, you can't expect people to understand what God has done for you. Sometimes you got to give like it don't make no sense. Sometimes you got to get this thing and make it personal with God. Don't let nobody stop you from giving the best to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm feeling my help up here today. Listen, I don't care how good she look. I don't care how she throw it when she walk. I don't care what he can do for you. Don't you let nobody stop you from bringing God your best. Stop you from giving God all your life. Can I pastor right here? If that fool don't want to be involved with you, kick him to the curb. God got something better for you. Don't you let some half-cocked, unemployed man stop you from giving God your best. Don't you let some chick who just looking for the next man stop you from giving God your best. Listen, God wants you to give him your best. Don't you give God your leftovers. Can I say some more? Quit giving God what you didn't gave, uh, what you have left over from the Giants game. Quit giving God what you got left over from the Dodgers game. Look at me, brothers. Quit giving God what's left after you the game to the NFL. Give God what's his. Give him the very best that you got. I'm out here now. I might as well say it all right. You don't want a leftover miracle? You don't want a half-baked blessing? No, when you want him to do something for you, you want the very best. Well, how come we get amnesia when it comes to giving what's his? I'm just talking about 
what I'm talking about. Judas was all jacked up. He was jacked up, Matthew. See, the enemy, Satan, had distracted him and entered his heart. So all he could think about was himself. I already told you he wasn't thinking about the poor. He was thinking about how he could get his hand in the offering plate. So really, he was consumed with service. He should have rather been consumed with service, witnessing, and giving to God. But instead, he was trying to hijack God's worship. He knew the oil was expensive. That's why he put a price on it. He wasn't interested in the poor. He was interested in the money. And I stopped by to tell you, this might hurt a little, but I stopped by to tell you there's going to always Mason be people in the crowd who look like disciples, who have jobs like disciples, who walk like disciples, but they ain't disciples. They fill with deceit and evil motives. Be careful who you worship with. See that there? They're all worshiping in her house. And he got the audacity to question her, question her worship in her house. You know people like that? Ain't never got nothing good to say. You say, boy, that show was a good sermon today. Yeah, but. Man, didn't they sing today? Yeah, it didn't take all of that. Man, it sure was a lot of people in there today giving God praise. Man, them people, man. They always got something to say. They worship robbers. And they ain't never happy unless they getting the praise. That's a good turn to that. Turn to your neighbor and ask him, are you a worship robber? Are you a worship robber? If you are, this next point's for you. Look at point number three, protective worth. Judas is misbehaving, but Jesus says in verse six, let her alone. Y'all see that right there? That's emphatic. In other words, it's a command. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work. Good God Almighty. For me. Right? Number seven, he says, For you have the poor with you, Judas, always. And whenever you wish, you can do them good. But me, you don't have always. Can I say some more? When you come to this text, we see... Three things about the master's response today, that is alarming. Sister Wilson, I think you'll appreciate this, daughter. Look, he says, it was a divine rebuke that he gave Judas. And it was in a divine response because it came from a divine reflection. In other words, the master demanded that they back up off of Mary. Y'all see that right there? He demanded that his daughter be left alone. He demands that her enemies behave. Why, why? Every now and then it's just good to see Jesus as the banner of protection for those who are falsely accused and attacked. Guess what? If there's one thing that God will defend is his worship. I got some theology for my preaching. He was going to defend his worship and that's why Satan got kicked out. 
Are you with me here? God wasn't sharing his worship with nobody. And when he laid it down in Exodus 20, he starts off in the very first command, you shall have no other gods before me. God ain't sharing his worship with nobody. If there's one thing he's going to defend, it's the praise and worship that he longs for around the throne. Is there any incident or question why the angels, that's all they do day and night, is worship him around the throne? Is there any excuse why he has created you for worship? If there's one thing he's going to defend, it's his worship. Can I say some more? Not only does he rebuke Judas and the others who are chiming in, but the master in the same verse demands that they quit troubling her. Yeah, yeah. He demands that what she has done, she has done for him. Sister Pauline, good to see you, daughter. Uh, the master here intercedes for Mary and reveals how he feels about sacrificial worship. Can I say some more? Listen, listen. Jesus loved what Mary did for him, and her gift was his gift. Chew on that for a minute. Her gift to him was a gift he received. Her offering was for his glory. Her submission was for his service. I want you to see, when you bring something to God, God, yes, thank you, God, it gets glorified by you giving to him. That's why it's important that you give him your best. Come here, Cain, and testify. What happened to you, man? I tripped out. I tried to give God what was left over instead of what was best. And God disapproved of my offering because it wasn't off of the top. Are you with me here? He tried to give God what was left over. But pleased and praised Abel because Abel brought him the sacrificial offering of a lamb. think God don't care about what you give? You think he ain't watching what you give? You think he ain't watching how you give it? He's all about the offering. He's all about the praise. He's all about the worship. And that's why the text can say, Anthony, he inhabits the praises of his people. Uh, can I put my weight on it right here? Ever going to a church and worship is dead? going to a church and ain't a word from the Lord? I bet you it's got something to do with their giving. If you don't give him a sacrifice of praise, he just moves on. Why, he's a God who inhabits the praises of his people. God wants to be worshipped and deserves to be worshipped. That's why your half-baked attitude of contempt with worship is not pleasing to God. Tell somebody, fix it today. When I come to this text, I'm glad that Jesus is defending Mary. Because in this verse, he calls their minds to a truth that says, yeah, You'll always uh, have a chance to serve the poor. But this hour has been set aside for me. Can I say something to the humanitarians in the room? You're going to always have more poor people than you're going to have money. You're always going to have more ministry 
than you're going to be able to meet. Jesus is saying, the poor you're going to always have with you. But me, Judas, I ain't going to be here much longer. In fact, the physical need you can take care of when I'm gone. But I'm getting ready to go to take care of their spiritual need. If I don't take care of their spiritual need, you will always be feeding them every day. But the more important need for those who are poor is their spiritual need. Can I tell you, that's why we don't do just good works without evangelism. I'm not feeding you just to feed you. I want to make sure your soul is saved. Anybody in here? Listen, listen, listen. I get feeding them. I get clothing them. But if I only feed them and clothe them and don't give them the gospel, what good is it to go to hell on a full stomach? What good is it to go to hell with Jordan's on? Jesus said, the poor you're going to always have with you. But I'm not going to have, you're not going to have me always. Leave her alone. Because what she's done, she's done for me. She's ministering to me. Leave her alone. Can I park the car right there for a minute? This gives me a new insight, Tate, on what my worship really is. My worship, Brother Crawford, is my ministry unto God. It's my ministering to God. When I tell him thank you, it does something to him. When I tell him hallelujah, it gives him honor, glory, and praise. Especially when I praise him when the chips are down. Especially when I'm not just praising him because I didn't got a raise or because everybody behaving. When I'm praising him in spite of my circumstances, he can say, look at Angelus. Looks like Job. Y'all mighty quiet in here. Oh, that's because I got seasonal worshipers. Y'all know what a seasonal worshiper is, right? They worship when the fruit is coming in. But when there ain't no fruit on the tree, when there ain't no bread in the cupboard, when there ain't no check on the way, when cancer got your body, when your high blood pressure's out of control, when your baby's in jail, when your husband won't act right, when your wife won't act right, will you praise him when the chips are down? Will you still bless his name? Will you still exalt him and worship him? Do you have to have everything all together to give God some praise? Or are you the kind of worshiper that says, Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Mary's got the right worship. And God is in love with worshipers. Heck, thank you, Lord. In fact, I heard him say in the book of John that God is looking for worshipers. Those who will worship him in spirit and in... Uh, worship is all in this thing today. Somebody needs to know that when you worship God, yeah, you bless him in the process, but you too get freed. Can I say that again? When you worship God, something happened to you. Hey, have you ever been there? Been mad, been hurt, been broke, been confused, been discouraged, been grieving, but decide to give him the praise? Won't something happen to you? 
Won't you worship shift your paradigm? Won't you worship make you see things from his perspective? In spite of what you ain't got, in spite of what you going through, when you decide I'm going to worship you anyway, God takes you to the next level. Can I talk to somebody? Anybody here this morning tired of living on the mundane level? Anybody here this morning tired of playing handball with the curb? I got the antidote for your situation. It's change your worship. Change how you exalt him. Change how you praise him. Change how you exalt his holy name. Change your perspective on who he is. And give him what he wants. And I guarantee you, he'll give you what you need. Did y'all catch that? I didn't say he'll give you what you want. I said he'll give you what you See, giving you what you want is one thing. Giving what you need is always better. You might not, yes, have what you want, but if he take care of your daily needs, your worship will be for real. He might not fix the thing that's broke, but he gives you peace in the midst of your storm. That's more than you can bargain for. Hey, can I say some more? Where could you buy peace if you was looking for it? Could you order it online? Could you find it at Costco? Could you pick it up at Walmart? Who got peace that you know? A peace that passes all understanding. God will give you that when you change your worship perspective. Shake somebody here and tell them, let's change it today. Let's change it today. Well, I'm going to get on out of here. I'm going to get on out of here. Can I dump the whole truck? Y'all got my back? Y'all got my back? Get the keys. Amen. Get the keys started for me. When we come to the end of the text, the Bible says, now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they didn't come to see Jesus only, but they came that they might see Lazarus. Can y'all see that right there? Who he raised from the dead. And then we see a change in the direction of the author. He says, but the chief priests, they plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. When I come to these final thoughts, family, we get to see how worship in his house, Lazarus' house, was extraordinary. And worship in his house was comprised, as I already told you, of those three powerful examples, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. But this third element to the worship experience is, yes, the power of a witness that worships. In other words, Lazarus is our witness. Yet, from his lips, you don't hear no words. Can I say some more? Lazarus ain't wrote one book in the New Testament. He ain't quoted as saying nothing. He ain't in a parable. He ain't in an assembly. He ain't even quoted anywhere from the gospel writers. But he's present. And he's present as one who's benefited from the miracle of God. Look, Lazarus is our witness. He ain't built no buildings. 
He ain't gave nothing for the poor. He ain't did nothing extraordinary. But God has promoted him because of his relationship with Christ. He's a witness. Lazarus is our witness, yet from his mind, you don't even capture no thoughts. It's his presence and his miracle that draws people to others. Can I say some more? So as the university pastor of Fresno Pacific University, I've got a dilemma. I'm not omnipresent. I'm not omniscient, and I'm not omnipotent. I can't be everywhere at all times. It's impossible to minister to 3,800 people, not counting faculty and staff. But you know what I've noticed? The ministry of presence is a very real ministry. Y'all catch me right there? Sometimes it's just me walking across the campus, and somebody saying, there you go the under-shepherd of the university. Sometimes it's just me on the video telling people that God love them and he hasn't forgot them. They ain't never seen me nowhere personally, but it's the ministry of presence. Can I say some more? The ministry of presence has the ability to draw people into the presence of God has the ability to make people want to walk like God, want to give their life to God. And that's what Lazarus puts on display in the text. It's the ministry of presence. Can I say some more? God raised him from the dead. And now his life is being lived for God. People don't even know Lazarus, but yet they'll come for miles around to see him. See one who was once dead and now is alive unto God. See somebody who was once a drive-by shooter but is now a follower of the Christ. See somebody who was once a thug and a dope head but they'll come running to see is it real? Could Jesus do this in his life? And could Jesus do it in my life? Am I talking about anybody here today? Anybody here today know about the ministry of presence? Just being present has drawn people to God from your witness on the job. Can you talk to me today? I like this text. It was God that did this for Lazarus. And as a result, others were coming now from around the way to see him because he was a new creature. Yes, enemies and friends we're marveling at the fact that he once was dead, but he's alive again. But the text suggests that though he just had a ministry of presence, because of what God did for him, it drew enemies in his life. Stay with me here five minutes, family. Look, because of what God did, yeah, people wanted to take him out. Verse 10 says that the, the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death. They were already plotting to put Jesus to death, but now they cooked up a scheme to put the one he had blessed to death. Wow. I noticed this. That following Christ will always put your life on the line. Following Christ will always, yeah, put the target 
on your back. See, Lazarus becomes revelation for the Christian, uh, the fulfillment of Romans 12, 1 and 2. The living sacrifice clause. Because he's a friend of Jesus, somebody wants to kill him, Sister Green. And I notice this, daughter, that sometime when the house is filled with worship, trouble is a natural byproduct of a blessing of God. Sometimes when the house is filled with worship, your life may be put on the line. People may have it in for you, Sister Garrett, just simply because, yeah, you are following Jesus. Well, as I come to a close this morning, I'm grateful today that the text reminds us that not only Jesus was headed for a vicious end, no, because Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, yes, trouble was now on the menu. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad today, yeah, that Lazarus had to go this way because it is a fulfillment of what Christ has said. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him, let him, let him take up his cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. Jesus was headed to Golgotha. And Lazarus was headed for the wanted posture. Jesus was headed to die on the hill called Calvary. And Lazarus was headed for ostracization. Jesus would go to die for the sins of the world. And Lazarus would follow in persecution. And this here is a good point to tell you what true worship is. True worship is following God in spite of the circumstances. True worship is giving God all you got even when there is no blessing. True worship is serving God when death is at the end of the road. True worship is dying to self and living to God. True worship is giving up your life for the one who died for you. The truth is in North America we don't know this Christianity. No, we like the bless me now and save me later Christianity. But other believers in other parts of the world know that when they make the decision for Christ, it is the call to die. And that's why I'm hanging my hat today. I've made my peace with this old world. And I've made my commitment to follow my God. And if Jesus had a cross to bear, then Angelus has a cross to bear. I'm closing now, but he died. Didn't he die? He died for his own worship. He died. He died. <laughs> 
that I might be born again. He died so I might have everlasting life. And I'm glad today he died on my behalf. And in his dying, I've learned how to live. In his dying, I'm learning how to give. In his dying, I'm learning what real sacrifice is. It's going when you don't want to go. It's giving when you ain't got it to give. It's doing what you wouldn't normally do. That somebody might be saying, I Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down, and if I lay it down, I'll take it up again. He died with me on his mind. He died with you on his mind. They took the body down, placed it in the borrow too, and early Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, got up with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. Now ain't that good news? Ain't that good news? I'm through preaching here, but I understand why my worship transformed now. You don't do good worship until you die with worship on your mind. Jesus knew that if I die completing the Father's will, the Father be glorified. When you and I decide we're going to die in order for Christ to be glorified, then our worship is transformed. Is there any worshipers here that says for Christ I live and for Christ I die any worshipers here that say I'm going to give it all to God in spite of the circumstances of this world and all God's children say amen amen and amen